is a gift indeed, which I don't have. And I've always said that you're better off to say I seen when you actually saw than to say I saw and ain't seen nothing. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. <clears throat> like a little boy in school, he's a farm boy, and he went to, to the city school, and the teacher asked him, said, Billy, is it proper to say the hen is setting or the hen is sitting. Studied for a long time. <laughs> she said, well, Billy, he said, well, I don't really know, but I would like to know this. When she cackles, has she laid or has she lied? <laughs> I believe there is something about this. <laughs> Well, praise God. Praise God. Well, may we have it all untangled. Would you, would you stand at this time? <clears throat> praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. Glory to God. Praise God. Isn't the Lord good, though? Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. The Lord blessed us so mightily here this morning. Great move of the Lord. We trust that our evening service will be a blessing to everyone who is here. And sincerely from my heart, if you are a guest of ours, all of this carrying on and such is uh, only because we feel so at ease with each other. And if you have been offended, we, we want to apologize. You come next Sunday night, it might be the same way, though. But, but nevertheless, until such a time that the Lord moves these two preachers some other place, it's going to be that way, I suppose. So. But for myself, but for myself, you know full well I like to be serious. So. <laughs> Praise God. It is good to see everybody. I'd like for you to turn your Bibles open to the third chapter of the book of Galatians. And we want to use the title of our new banner, We Wear His Name. Brother O'Neill preached last Sunday evening concerning the name of the Lord. And I have a message that the Lord has given to me. Entitled, We Wear His Name. Galatians 3.26 For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus, and if you be Christ... Then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now the very last verse, 29, he says heirs according to the promise. Did you know we become heirs with Jesus Christ? Turn with me now to Revelation 19. And we'll 
take a look at something here. The marriage supper of the Lamb taking place. Revelation 19, 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. That's talking about the church. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And then I'd like for you to turn with me to 1 John 2. First John 2, verse 1. My little children, these things I write unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. And let's read the last phrase together. Jesus Christ the righteous. All right, God bless you. You may be seated. <clears throat> the Bible says that Jesus Christ... the righteous. And then, of course, in Revelation 19, the church is clothed with the righteousness of the saints. Our righteousness comes from Jesus, the righteous. And it speaks of being clothed Arrayed in fine linen, white. In Galatians 3, 27, For as many of you as have, as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now we use the term up here, wear, W-E-A-R. What do you think of when you think of wearing something? You put it on. The, the case used in Galatians 3.27 is that just as a man would put on a coat to complete his attire, to show that he is fully dressed for the occasion, the Apostle Paul speaks of putting on Christ. And when he's saying we put on Christ, that simply means we wear him. We, we actually wear him. Just as the church at the marriage supper of the Lamb, they wear the righteousness of the saints and Christ is the righteous one. We are clothed. We are made ready. We actually wear the Lord. Now, isn't that something? We are actually made complete in Him. Just as one would wear a coat or a garment, so do we also wear the Lord. To remove your coat would leave you partially undressed. Now, that does not mean that you are in a state of immodesty. 
But there are certain occasions that require that you wear a coat. And of course in this particular life that we live, certainly we are concerned about being fully dressed for the occasion. And when you put on the Lord, you are complete in Him, who is the head of all power and principality in both heaven and in earth. Now Colossians, the second chapter. Colossians, the second chapter. Verse 8. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom, ye, in whom also ye are circumcised, with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with Him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with Him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised Him from the dead. And you being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink, or in respect of a holy day, or in the new moon, or in the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come. Praise God. I'm glad that that Sabbath was a shadow of things to come. Praise God. Back in the Old Testament when Isaiah wrote, in Isaiah 28 verse 11 and 12, he said, For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to his people, to whom he said, This is the rest. Actually, the scripture is saying, This is the Sabbath. Praise God. And we find rest for our weary souls, and we are clothed in his righteousness. We put on Christ. We wear him. Now, there are three areas of great concern that I have in our relationship with the Lord, and I would like to talk about those, because they do deal in, in a very close intimacy that I feel that is very important for us to understand. Psalm 34, verse 8, the Bible tells us, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. The constant message goes out 
by the media concerning what we eat. There is a big concern because America has become the junk food nation of the world. We have all kinds of what they call junk foods. Now, Jesus said in John 6, Except ye eat my flesh and drink my blood, he said, you shall have no part of me. Turn there, if you would, with me. I want to talk about first Jesus Christ, the daily diet. And then I want to talk about Jesus Christ, the continual instructor. And then Jesus Christ, a constant companion. In John, the sixth chapter, Jesus says in verse 48, I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. Now he's talking about the spiritual man, because all of us will die, naturally speaking. All of us will see the grave. Verse 51, I am the living bread which come down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Now he speaks of his flesh that we are to eat. Now, Naturally, he is spiritualizing. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. You can't go get a bucket of the Spirit. Neither can you get a mouthful of his flesh. He is not here in fleshly form. But he's speaking of the diet of the inner man. Now, when he speaks of my flesh that you should eat of, he is simply saying that you should take my life and you should take my physical being while I was alive in here. And you should use that as your example. Now, we talked to you some time ago about the way of the Lord. But if you turn to First Peter, the second chapter. First Peter, the second chapter. The Bible says, <clears throat> uh, Peter is talking in, about subjecting yourself to the powers that are on the earth. He said, as to governors and, uh, and so forth. And then, of course, he, he goes on to say that we should honor all men. We should love the brotherhood, verse 17. We should fear God. We should honor the king. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. Now what he's saying here is that we should be, he's speaking of servants, that they should be 
subject to their masters. Now, not just when they're good and gentle, but also when they're very aggressive and hateful. It's always easy to submit to somebody who's telling you to do it like you want to do it. You understand what he's saying? But he says, also to the aggressive one and to the forward one. All right. For this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience toward God endureth grief, suffering wrongfully, for what glory is it, if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. Now notice verse 21. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in His steps. You see, we're disciples of the Lord. And if we are disciples of the Lord, here is our example. Who did no sin, neither was any guile found in His mouth. Who, when He was reviled, reviled not again. When He suffered, He threatened not but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on a tree. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this, there is something about my flesh that does not want to walk in his footsteps. But I can assure you that when I have fasted, And when I have prayed and when I'm in the Spirit, I can eat this up. Really, I just eat it up. And I can feel strength being granted to me inwardly. And that's what he's saying, except you eat my flesh. And he says, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood... And I'll tell you, when I read of Calvary, and I read the stories that are listed in the epistles as they are explained by Paul and also by Peter, there is just something about that story of His blood that flowed for me. My inner man drinks that up. I can just drink that up. And I feel strength being granted to me inwardly. Now we're told in a physical sense that we are what we eat. Now a few weeks, uh, I say a few weeks ago, a couple of months ago, uh, I developed some swelling in my, my legs. I've had problems with my ankle for some time and here on a Sunday night, The Lord just came down and touched me. And I can truthfully say that I have not had a problem with that ankle. But then, above the ankle, three or four inches, above the ankle, on both legs, I have experienced some swelling. And I told Sister Grant, I said, now, I don't really know what I'm going to do. I think that what I need to do is to lose a lot of weight. Now, I'm not going to tell you how much I weighed, but I have lost uh, about 25 pounds in the last 
few months. Now all that I have done, I have not gone on any particular diet. I just remember taking biology back in 1957. Now some of you young people don't think that biology is will do you any good. But I remember back in 1957 they were telling us that in order to have a healthy body that we need to eat balanced diets, a balanced meal. So every day a person should take in balanced meals. Now that simply means that that food has been categorized in four different categories. Now there are people here and nurses that are here that could tell you a lot more about this than what I'm able to tell, especially in view of the fact that I have not taken a refresher course since 1957. But I just remember some basic things. They were saying that you need a balanced diet. So you should take in some red meat and, and of course, fish and poultry. Uh, uh, poultry, rather. And, <laughs> man, there's something. What are we going to do with this? <clears throat> I guess a poem every now and then wouldn't hurt either. Oh, uh, I must have been thinking about you, Brother Harris. <clears throat> Think about that while I drink this. But uh, <clears throat> where was I? Oh, yeah, we were on the meat and, and, and the, the chickens, <laughs> the poultry. <laughs> but, uh, <clears throat> and then, of course, uh, you should take in bread and, and grain and cereal and then, of course, dairy products, and then uh, you should take in vegetables. And so I decided that what I would do, rather than count calories and starve myself, go on a crash diet and take all of this conglomeration of pills and such, that all I would do is just eat balanced meals. So... I began to take in consideration a few other things that I'd learned. When you are born in this world, you have two particular types of cells in your body. You have the, the muscular cells and then, of course, the fatty cells, which are called the adipose cells. Now, the adipose cells uh, are more numerous in some people's bodies than others, even when they're born. And you cannot destroy those cells. So some people have a tendency to gain weight when others don't. Now, can you actually believe that Sister Grant can eat anything she wants to eat and not gain weight? Now, she thinks that she needs to lose weight, so she's been riding my exercising bike. And uh, she says that, that she, is, uh, <clears throat> she is just uh, entirely too fat now. Now, I can assure you that if a doctor thoroughly examined her or an autopsy was run on her after her death, they would not find one fat adipose cell. <laughs> not one. Not one. Because there is no way. And you know, here, she just piles a dish full of ice cream and all of this rich stuff and everything that she brings me just 
a little scoop, just a plain little scoop, and, and puts it in front of me. And I said, what's going on here? She says, you don't want to gain weight, do you, honey? And I said, well, what about yours? But that's, that's the way some people are. Dirty, rotten dogs. <laughs> but... <clears throat> For some reason, I was born, did you, you know how much I weighed when I was born? I weighed 10 pounds even. And my body had 90% adipose cells. <laughs> I can go by Gardner's Bakery over here and weigh, and I'll weigh two pounds more just by smelling the aroma. Not really, but <clears throat> I'm telling you, I would literally have to starve to be slim. You know, somebody asked me, Brother Grant, have you always been this large? I said, I only weighed 10 pounds when I was born. <laughs> I haven't always been this large. But I cannot remember, you know, I just can't remember being slim like Glenn Uselman. Now, and, and some boys are just trying their best to gain weight, and they just cannot gain weight. Sister Grant, I remember, I sure love you, honey, but I remember when she used to drink Metrocal and eat rare steaks just in order to gain weight. I can't even, I can't believe anybody would have such a lovely problem. <clears throat> but that's the way I am. I just keep gaining and gaining and Gain. So I decided, well, what I'll do then, I will just approach this from, from my own logical standpoint. We won't be reading all these diet books because there's so many of them that they have so many different type of diets in them. A couple of years ago, I wanted to go on this carbohydrate diet, and, and I got so dizzy and everything, I went down to Chicago and passed out down there. I said, I don't want any paramedics coming around meddling in my business. I want this just to be my own personal diet. So so what I started doing is cutting out all the hard fat because the adipose cells largely made up of hard fat. And then Sister Grant started uh, using cooking oil. Now, I have never cared much for sweets. And, and you know, when Brother, uh, when Brother uh, Hightower was here and he was talking about sugar, I could just sit back and say, Amen, Amen, Amen. It's always easy to do that, see, if you're living that, because I, I've just never had a sweet tooth. And uh, there are certain things that I, I've done for years. When I eat sandwiches, they're always dry. I don't put mayonnaise on them. I don't put butter on them. Don't put anything. Just dry sandwiches. See? Now, that just turns you off, doesn't it? <laughs> now, that ought to make you appreciate your pastor being fat, knowing that he, he does try but at any rate, I just decided that what I would do is that, that uh, I wouldn't take any, any, any hard fat, but I would eat as much of the lean meat as I wanted to. I would balance my meals. I started eating a lot of fruit and vegetables and, and such, uh, taking whole wheat dry toast and pouring uh, uh, safflower oil over it for butter and uh, that sounds bad, but really it's not bad. 
Because, you see, vegetable oil does not contain hard fat. Now, you didn't know you were going to get a lesson like this, did you? It does not contain hard fat. It contains no cholesterol and uh, no hard fat. And it's high in acid content. So that simply means that when it's deposited into my cells, into the fatty cells because they're acid content, that it will not mix with the hard fat. Now, that simply means that one or the other has to go. So, now you say, Brother Grant, I don't believe all that. I've lost 25 pounds. And you know what? I'm going to lose another 25 pounds. And I... I'd like to clap for myself, but I'm feeling so good already, you know, about it. (laughs) Really. But to be able to know that your inner man is eating a balanced diet is such a thriving experience, just the knowledge of it. You know, I believe that peace that comes with God comes largely through your knowledge of the Lord. Now, the reason why I say that, because there are a lot of people who have Jesus, they have been baptized with the Holy Ghost, but they are still fearful. And they're plagued constantly with fear. There are things that are always bothering them and such. And, of course, having the knowledge that Jesus Christ does take care of you, that He is the Prince of Peace, knowing what I know about Jesus is a comforting thing indeed. And, of course, to know That my spiritual being, the real true man. You see, the body is only a part of mankind. We refer to each other in this particular form. Somebody came to church. Somebody stole my keys. Somebody this. Somebody that. That's the vernacular that we use. And we can get so accustomed to looking at ourselves as a body. That we forget that that is only one third of what makes the man what he is. According to the scripture, he is composed of an inner man, which is two thirds of man. A spirit and a soul. And it is very necessary that you give constant consideration to that inner being. And this is what Jesus was saying. That I am your daily diet, and you need balanced meals. What should I eat, Jesus? He said, you should eat my flesh, and you should drink my blood. Oh, praise God, every day to know that I can go before the Lord, and just like we as natural beings, and just like our natural bodies work, and while they work, they perspire, and they take on... uh, unclean odors and such. It is also necessary that the inner man receive his daily cleansing from the spirit or from the power and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I say every day a man needs to go prostrate before God and ask for that cleansing, Lord. I want to drink your blood. I want to drink your blood. I want to cleanse my inner man. It's necessary that we do that because if we don't do that, 
and we become polluted internally. Then it also affects us externally. There are some people that are like porcupines. They have a lot of good points, but you can't stand to be around them. See? Why? Because their heart is polluted. they got problems inside. They're not gentle. They're not kind. They're quick to judge. They cut you down. They're, they're caustic and critical about everything. Where is that coming from? Jesus explained like this. It's not what goeth into the man that defileth the man, but it's what proceedeth out of the heart. And Jesus Christ is our balanced diet. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And when I drink His blood and cleanse my soul, then I have His fleshly example to go by, that I can walk in His steps. When He was reviled, He reviled not again. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. That we can actually be gentle like the Lord. We can be a loving, kind, gentle creature while we are here. Jesus Christ is our constant diet. And if we are what we eat, then our souls and our spirits are also what they are because of what they eat every day. Praise God, praise God, praise God. And oh, what an intimacy when you know that you're taking in food and that food that you're actually taking into your system, you are digesting it and it is being transported right out to the extremities of the body and the cells and such, and, and you become what you eat. If you want a strong, muscular body, you just can't go sit down and eat what you want. You can't just let the flesh do what the flesh wants to do. And I have found that even though uh, losing the 25 pounds have been relatively easy, it's also easy to go in some place where somebody's prepared something just for you. And then violate your diet. Now I went up to Brother and Sister Show Walter's place there uh, at camp. They're in our new camp caretakers. And I gave them an orientation. Spent all day going over the camp and such. And then... After it was over, she said, now come by the house. And I went by the house, and she had a meal prepared. Now, I go in there, and what do you think she has prepared? She has chicken and dumplings. Okay. And then she had some kind of a cheese sauce type thing. And then, guess what she had for dessert? She had caramel coconut pie. Now, she went to all that trouble just to make this for me. Now, I was not going to turn it down. <laughs> now, i got to tell you, you know, I really didn't want to eat it. But I said, you know, I've driven 200 miles or 150 miles, and she's made all of this, so I'm going to eat it. And, and I did eat it. But you see, you know that once you start dieting, that uh, your appetite changes. It really does. And all I could see when I was eating that caramel coconut pie, I could see truckloads. I mean dump truckloads. You know, 
of calories going down my bloodstream out to the cells, backing up in the cells and dumping them. (laughs) While I was eating, I could feel myself getting bigger. I really could. Now, it didn't affect me that much, but you see, it it had its... (laughs) I could just see all these things taking place. You are what you eat. And did you know what? When there is a measurable amount of discipline that goes with your spirituality to mispraying and misrepenting and such every day because your soul has found its daily appetite on God. When you neglect that, there is a hurt that comes inside. There is something that comes inside of you that repels against what you have forced yourself to do. You know, all you have to do to backslide is just stop praying. But I'll assure you, my brothers and sisters, that if you have gone on a long fast or you've sought God and your soul is rejuvenated and all of a sudden maybe somebody swings by your house early in the morning before you arise and get you out of bed and wants you to go over, maybe it's a holiday, wants you to go over someplace and so you agree to do it and mid-afternoon come and you haven't gotten down on your knees and you have not yet tasted of the Lord that day and you haven't drank His blood that cleanses the soul all of a sudden there's a hunger that takes place inside of you. I've experienced and you have experienced it. Oh, it's there. It's like knots of pain that grab you physically that tell you, you've got to eat, John. You've got to eat. There's something inside of your soul that says, I've got to eat. I've got to eat. And that's exactly what the Bible was saying. Paul was saying, he said, though the outer man perish, the inner man is renewed day by day in the Holy Ghost. Praise God. And we need to take on Jesus Christ to the point that our entire fiber of our inner being is made up of Jesus Christ. We wear Him. What we eat is what we are. And so we become inwardly just like Jesus Christ through that constant drinking of His blood and eating of His flesh. Praise God, praise God. Oh, how we need Him, how we need Him. Now let's change the subject somewhat. He is a continual instructor. Mark the 5th chapter, verse 15. There was a maniac at Gadara who was full of demons. And of course... This man was set free from those demon spirits. Jesus commanded the demons to go into a herd of swine. And of course the swine then went and they were drowned in the lake. The Bible says that the people then of the city came out to see Jesus and they asked him to leave. But notice the impact that that cleansing had on that demoniac. The Bible tells us in verse 15, They came to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind 
and they were afraid. He was clothed, and he was in his right mind. Now John the 16th chapter tells us something about the Holy Ghost when it comes. Jesus says in John 16, if you'll turn there with me, verse 15. We have a good number of new people in our congregation. I always feel somewhat obligated to wait until you turn to those scriptures. This is an outstanding way of you learning the scripture. John 16, 13. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. The Bible says, when he the Spirit of truth, Jesus was the way, he was the truth, and he was the life. When he the Spirit of truth, that's speaking of the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of the Holy Departed One, who was Jesus. Now when the Holy Ghost comes to you, One thing the Holy Ghost will do, if you allow it to work on you, it will give you a teachable spirit. Now, there are a lot of people in our world today who do not have teachable spirits. They don't have teachable spirits. And we need to be very, very careful as to who we allow to teach us. Now... If you are a new person in the Lord, I say, stay out of the Christian bookstores. Now, if you've been in long enough to know eating, and you're mature in the Lord, then I say then you can go to a Christian bookstore. But some people have the philosophy that everything that's put in a book is right. And when they read it, they believe it. You see, there are some people who cannot be taught by anyone. There are others who can be taught by everyone. Now, the balance of this is found right in the Scripture itself. 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy 3, verse 13. Now, this is speaking of the last days, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse And worse, deceiving and being deceived. They deceive because they are deceived. Jesus said the blind lead the blind. They both fall in the ditch. But continue thou in the things that thou hast learned and hast been assured of. Now notice what he says. Knowing of whom thou hast learned them. I think that's so beautiful. You see, the Bible teaches us that we should know those who labor among us. You know, if we happen to have a man who would stop by our church on a Sunday night, he may be the best preacher in the world. He may have the Holy Ghost. He may be as true to God as anybody. But if we don't know that man, according to the Scripture, We are in violation of the law of God to take that man and put him behind the pulpit and say, Preach to me. While he may be the best preacher in the world and he may be a prophet of God, but the Scripture tells us that we should know those 
who labor among us. And if he is a great man of God, he will understand the operation of the Spirit. That God's people should never become vulnerable to evil teachers. And this seems to be the stopgap that God has placed in His Word. When somebody teaches you, know who's teaching you. What kind of a life do they live? What kind of an example do they set? Are those people true blue Christians all the way? Now it's easier for me to follow somebody of whom maybe I would disagree with if I know what kind of an individual they are. But to just hear somebody teach and then accept it is in violation of the Scripture without knowing that person at all. You may say, well, Brother Grant, but you see, I know what the Bible teaches. But you see, when the Bible teaches a particular doctrine, there is the correct spirit and tenor that is involved in that particular message. I believe that it's possible to teach the truth in error. By that I mean you are preaching and teaching a Bible based subject and not deviating from it but if your spirit's not right the spirit of what you're saying rubs off on the hearer as much as the words that are spoken and this is the reason why we have a Christian school because my friend education is more than academics education is the transfer not of the knowledge of a teacher to the pupil, but education is the transfer of everything that that person is to the student that is listening. The student not only picks up upon the academic aspect, but he picks up upon the sum total of the teacher. And this is the reason why that our kids in the public schools are learning much more than academics. And it is a known fact that what they get out of the public schools is changing their lifestyle much more than the academics are changing the lifestyle of Americans. This is the reason why that kids are rebellious. This is the reason why that kids don't want to follow rules and regulations. This is the reason why that there's so much permissiveness in our particular society. They don't teach that out of textbooks. They're picking that up from the spirit and from the life of the teacher himself. For true education is the transfer of life from the living to the living. And if you think that you can stand before a group of people and preach something that is straight and solid and sound and yet have the bad, a bad attitude and those students won't pick up that bad attitude, you are drastically mistaken. They will do it. They will do it. But the Holy Ghost is the continual instructor in our lives. We need Holy Ghost people to instruct us. You see, the Holy Ghost does not always come and whisper directly in our ear. But the Holy Ghost flows through Holy Ghost-filled people and we receive continual, uh, a, a continual take 
of, uh, of instructions from the Holy Spirit flowing from your life as a father in your home, flowing from your life as a mother in the home, flowing from your life as a Sunday school teacher in the classroom, just like you would take and constantly feed information out of a computer on a tape and somebody would take and read it. There is a continual flow, a tape of the Spirit of what you are. Everything you say and everything you do is flowing right inside of that pupil. And oh, I'm so glad to say that as much as we need to eat the right uh, uh, foods, uh, physically speaking, and we need to drink of His blood and eat of His flesh and use Him as an example. We also need teachable spirits that are highly sensitive to the power of the Holy Ghost. Feed me, Lord, and teach my mind that I may know more about You. Paul speaks of knowing the Lord and the power of His suffering. There is power in that example that Jesus left. And our spiritual leaders also need to be powerful in their example to new Christians. Praise God. Know them that labor among you. Education is more than academics. It's the transfer of life from the living to the living. Praise God. And right now, we're in the process of finding new supervision in our school. Brother and Sister Rutherford are leaving. Now, I know that Brother Rutherford is my brother-in-law, and naturally you would expect me to feel good about him. But I can say one thing about Brother Rutherford. What he tells those students, he lives. Praise God. And he's tough on them, but he's tough on himself. Praise God. And, and if you're around Brother Rutherford, he's going to talk about Jesus Christ. He's going to talk about the Bible. Very rarely ever will you get him involved in anything outside of a conversation about the Bible. I mean, he eats it, he reads it, he prays, he seeks God. And when he stands behind the pulpit, when he delivers, you know he's delivering you the bread of life. Praise God. And certainly, this is in our consideration when we consider a new uh, personnel for the school. We want somebody that's living the life. And somebody that can be a, a channel by which God can use and flow through them. Praise God. And somebody whose example is Christian as much as possible of any man walking on the face of this earth. Now, we've all failed. God, there, there's no question about that. But you see, even in failures, we become examples. How do we handle that? Even in losing, we become examples. I, I read uh, something not long ago. It's, it says everybody loves a good sport. The only thing is you have to lose to prove it. But you see, the, the thing about it is that even when we lose, how we lose and how we accept it, it's such a very important thing. People look at that and they want to know what's going on. Jesus Christ lost His life, but how He lost His life and His attitude when He lost His life, oh, is certainly a paramount example for me. Praise God. And every now and then something will come by and just really cause me to flip my wig real good. And I get upset about it and then I get to thinking, hey, that wasn't very Christian. I didn't react right in that. 
And the Holy Ghost begins to talk to me and teach me. Praise God. Isn't it great to know that you can come and kneel down at an altar and the Holy Ghost is always there teaching you. He is a continual instructor. Praise God. In 2 Timothy 2 verse 2, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the thing that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Therefore endure hardships as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Now notice what he says, therefore endure hardships as a good soldier. Now what he's saying is hardships are going to come everybody's way. Now notice what he's saying here. He says, the things that thou have heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. What Paul is saying is, Timothy, now you know my example. And you have heard many things, not only out of my mouth, but by many witnesses. I have committed those to you, but you take them and commit them to other people. Now, this is what he says, Therefore, endure hardships as a good soldier. In other words, because you're committing this life into somebody else's hands, make sure that when they look back at you, that you are the kind of man that you ought to be. And you make sure that you are the prime example. Hardships are going to come. But what really proves what you are is how you react in the moment of adversity. When the pressure and the power of evil forces are resting upon you, how do you react then? And the Spirit of Truth comes. The Spirit of Truth is Jesus Christ, the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is saying, well, look at the cross. Look how I reacted when they were going to nail me to the cross. He stood there and chose not even to vindicate himself, but humbly submitted himself to death, even the death of the cross. And Jesus is a continual instructor. He is a continual daily diet. Now, the third part, he is a constant companion. Now, this morning in our Bible lesson, I spoke somewhat of this and felt that I would eliminate it from this message, but after further consideration, decided to go ahead and use this anyway. Ephesians, the fifth chapter, if you would turn there with me, the Apostle Paul is speaking about the relationship that a husband and a wife have. And it is such a such a beautiful, beautiful thing. Now notice what Paul is saying in Ephesians 5, 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it by the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having a spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that it should be holy and without blemish. 
so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies, that he, he that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. And we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined unto his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. Now notice verse 32. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Now he mixes this vernacular over and over, even as Christ loved the church. And what he's saying is, you pick out the most dedicated couple of your entire church. When I think of couples in our church and people that I feel have excellent relationships, naturally I see throughout the congregation beautiful couples. Tonight my mind comes to a couple who have been married a good number of years. In fact, next Tuesday will be their wedding anniversary. Brother and Sister Manley will be married how many years next Tuesday? He looks to her and she says, 20. Okay, so here is a lovely couple. Now, how much? Well, I should have known better than that. 31, okay. 31 years they have been married. Now, what Paul is saying, you look at a husband and a wife relationship. Look at the intimacy involved. The Holy Ghost was called the comforter because the Holy Ghost was a constant, continual companion. And there is such a relationship that develops after a number of years of marriage that it is totally indescribable. None of you who have remarried in recent years can possibly understand the intimacy that develops between a husband and a wife. And so Paul is talking about that. When the marriage is ideal, when everything is set in order according to Scripture, when every rule and regulation has been followed and none have been violated, and that couple becomes a perfect example of Christian living, he says, now I want to show you what I'm talking about. This is the intimacy that Christ develops with the believer. Praise God. And this is the reason why that God spoke uh, while He was here in the flesh that we should have communication with Him in closets of prayer, behind closed doors. He said, pray not as the Pharisees pray uh, when they go out in the street corners and places only to be seen and heard of men. But there's an intimacy that develops between a husband and a wife that's nobody's business but theirs. They understand each other. They know each other. It's there. And it takes place behind closed doors somewhere. And it's so sacred that you don't even talk about it in the public places. He said, now this is the relationship that God wants with the believer. And Jesus Christ is a continual, constant companion to the believer. Praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. In Revelation 19, this is a part we use this morning. 
I'd like for you to turn there with me if you would. Revelation 19, the marriage supper of the Lamb. We read from that already. We are clothed with His righteousness. And then, of course, verse 11 starts out by talking about Jesus Christ and, of course, those who will come back to the earth with Him after the rapture. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness doth he judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. Praise God. Now the Bible tells us that that there was a name written that nobody knew but Christ himself. But you see, the bride is with him, and the bride wears his name. Now the reason why that says nobody but he himself, because the intimacy between husband and wife, they too shall become one flesh. One flesh. And you know, there's a lot of people using the name of Jesus today. Jesus. Jesus. Let's say it together. Jesus. Let's say it again. Jesus. Let's say it again. Jesus. That really don't know that name. They really don't know that name. Sister Girl, I want you to stand if you wouldn't come right here. Now, what he is actually saying is this. Now, I'm going to put it in these terms. My name is John Wesley Grant, Sr., the only one in the world. And I have only had one wife, Leona Darlene. Now, no other woman of this congregation knows that name but her. When she hears the name John Wesley Grant Sr., there is an intimacy involved in our relationship that causes revelation of myself. No other woman in this world knows that name but this woman. Because of the intimacy of the relationship. And the reason why that he said that Jesus Christ comes back. And he has a name that nobody else knows. Save he himself. Why? Because of the relationship that's developed between Christ and his church. It's like a husband and wife relationship. Nobody will ever know that but Leona Darlene Grant. She gave up her own name and forsook her own household, left her mother and dad in tears, and followed me. I'm so glad I rescued her. But you see, nobody, nobody knows that name 
but Leona Darlene. Why? Because she is the only woman in the world that has put it on, that wears it. And until you are privileged to wear it, who shall come on my day You will never know it. And it will never be revealed unto you. And when she hears that name, it has a different tenor and connotation than when she hears your name. Oh, hallelujah. Let's lift our hands and praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Mm. <laughs> oh, praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We wear His name. We wear His name. We wear His name. We wear His name. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. And until you put it on, friend, it's just five letters, J-E-S-U-S. It sounds like Jesus every time you hear it. But friend, when you develop the intimacy of putting it on, and it becomes an integral part of yourself. Then when you hear it, there is revelation. Paul speaks of this in Ephesians 3. You know what he says in Ephesians 3? He says the whole family of God in heaven and in earth is named after him. And he says this is the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God. He's saying from the beginning of the world, Adam and Eve and Moses and Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and Job, Elisha, Elijah, the prophet Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, they all wanted to know about this name. They inquired of it. They were desperate at times, but the Bible says it was locked up in God from the beginning. Hallelujah. And it was going to stay there until such a time that God could bring man back to the point in which he could develop an intimacy in a relationship equivalent to a husband and wife. And then he said, now, after you've done that, I'm going to let you have a revelation of what it's like to know my name. Why? Because you have died to your sinful flesh. And when you died to your sinful flesh, then and only then did you become qualified. You forsook the past. You burned all your bridges. You left your friends behind. You stepped out on your own and followed me. And now, and now, I'm going to let you wear it. You're going to put it on like a garment. And you're going to know what it's all about. Woo! Glory! Hallelujah! Let's stand to our feet and worship the Lord, would you, right now? Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Oh, glory! Hallelujah! 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Don't you love him? Let's worship him right now. Let him know what it means to you. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, God. Hallelujah. 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 Mashakaranda Homohusata. Now let's seek after the Lord right now. Yes, my children, my children. I long for these times in which the holy hush of my spirit can hover. I come among you tonight to let you know that I am your true Redeemer. I deserve to be the lover of all of your affections. For none ever cared for you like me. I purchased you and paid the price. Rightfully, you belong to me. But don't you understand that I bought you by losing my own life? Is there greater proof of my love for you? And so I walk among you tonight to say that I continually court you in the hours of prayer and reveal to you my secrets because that I love you like I have never loved before. And don't you also understand the ray of hope that's found in my word. That even though I made the journey to the heavens, it is only momentary. For in the holy city, a beautiful home is being prepared just for you. Because you are the apple of my eye. And yea, I will come quickly for you and give you
that haven of rest, saith the Lord. People are kneeling and praying all over. Do we have somebody that would like to give their heart to the Lord? There is a place for you to come and bend your knees and give your heart to Him. Oh, we wear His name, we wear His name. Beautiful.